Welcome to What the F Fertility, the podcast and community for those thinking about having a baby, actively trying to have a baby, those struggling or maybe having treatments, wherever you are in the journey, then this podcast is for you. I'm Pips. I'm Alex. And I'm Maddie. And I have to say, ladies, I cannot believe that we are here and finally we are doing this. It's been over two years, hasn't it, of us making this. Just whilst we've been on such a hell of a journey, each of us, it really has been a total roller coaster, hasn't it? Oh my gosh, I can't believe it's been two years. But yeah, and we have literally been asking, what the F at every stage, haven't we? (laughs) (laughs) But we have become so passionate about this subject and it's so important that we want to talk about it and share it with you, which is why we've created this podcast, haven't we, ladies? Yeah. Absolutely. And... What the F? We've got a podcast. (laughs) Uh, So each week we will be bringing you interviews with fertility experts and I'll be on hand as your resident fertility nutritionist, sharing top tips on the little things that can help us along the way. So we just want to share our stories really briefly of why we're doing this. Uh, So I was diagnosed with low ovarian reserve and discovered that I don't have many eggs for my age. My levels were too low for IVF on the NHS, but we just kept trying. I was due to start IVF. Miraculously, I actually fell pregnant naturally, but sadly I had a miscarriage. And after doing everything in my power and no doctor will tell you it's possible, I managed to increase my levels and I now have my toddler Louie and another baby on the way. Yay. Oh, amazing. <laughs> Mads, how about you? Yeah, so I'm currently at the crossroads where um, I'm really seriously considering whether to end my fertility journey. I've been on a long break over a year now, and I have to say it was really well needed. I was deep in the trenches for over four years. I've had nine miscarriages, two rounds of IVF, two rounds of ICSI, and even one donor egg IVF cycle. Along this way, I've been diagnosed with immune issues as well as endometriosis and adenomyosis. I've had the endo treated with surgery, yet still I can't quite make that decision as whether I have just one last try. You've been through so much, Maddie. Yeah, and, I, and like I said, I don't know whether just to say it was a ride and I end it. So we'll we'll figure it along the way. So for those that don't know, Maddie's my sister um, and my story quite different. So my partner and I, we were trying for a baby for over two years and we were just getting nowhere. We were sent for tests and it was through these tests that we discovered that both my fallopian tubes are blocked which means that IVF was the only solution. So after one failed attempt, we did get pregnant. And now I have two-year-old toddlers, Marnie and Phoenix. It's all so different. And I think that's also why it's so important that we felt we wanted to create this because we all have such distinctive journeys and stories to share. So we really hope that What the F Fertility can bring you some light and some hope wherever you are on your journey. So Zita, thank you so much for joining us today. You are a real fertility guru, having been a midwife for 40 years, Mm -hmm. an acupuncturist for 25 years, the founder of the Zita West Fertility Clinic and products, and you've written nine books on fertility about getting pregnant. It is such a pleasure to have you on What The F. Oh, thank you. So we're back this week to talk all about when to get our fertility tests. It's also known as a fertility MOT. Uh, So she's going to be talking to us about what the tests are and what we can expect. So Zita, we've made the decision to have fertility tests to see what's going on. 
what tests are available with your GP? There are several tests available with your with your GP. Um, and there's the, the sort of like baseline tests that you will have done when you've been trying for a year. So your partner will have a sperm analysis done and there'll be different tests that are done on day two to five of your um, cycle and then usually on day 21 of your cycle. But your GP as well will be looking to see if there are any red flags, you know, that if you've got any uh, in-between period bleeding, um, if there's any history, medical history in the family of thyroid or diabetes or various things like that. So it's, you know, there's a baseline test and then there might be some extra tests that you might have done as well. Um, When people come to your clinic, what are the first tests that you do? Well, ours is more an IVF clinic. So there are sort of routine blood tests that are done for IVF. Um, People do have fertility MOTs and there's a lot of clinics that do this now. I'm, I'm a believer in fertility MOTs, but what I see so often is, and, and you know, I, I used to do a lot of them by phone, checking the anti-malarian hormone, which is uh, a hormone that is a, a marker from the ovaries, which tells you what your egg reserves are like. And obviously, the higher the number, the better. And many women, um, when they do the fertility MOT test, and this comes back with the low number, it sends them to an absolute panic. And I think sometimes the way news is delivered to women is really, really hard. You know, when you've been told that your your egg reserve is low, that's the end for you. You know, when it's not always necessarily the case. You know, if you're younger and you've got a low AMH, you still stand a really good chance of of getting pregnant. And women will always say to me as well, I want to know everything. I want to know what my chances are and if I can or can't have a baby. And the hard thing about fertility there are so many shades of gray, it's not black and white. And so if you can imagine, if you're not in a relationship, you're not with a partner, you're in your thirties, you do this test and you want to know how long you've got before you start trying and it comes back low. It's like the sword of Damocles hanging over you because then you've got to enter a relationship knowing that you've got low egg reserves. And, you know, if you're in a new relationship and, you know, second date, you're telling your man you want to have a baby, it's likely to run for the hills, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> terrifying. You've got to be careful about what you what you wish for or ask for. And again, you can't give somebody, or, you know, like a 33-year-old might say to me, I'm not ready yet, but I've got, you know, have I got two years if my AMH is okay? Well, you don't know whether you've got two years or, or not. And when I was talking about earlier with the delays when it comes to fertility, and, and you know this, Maddie, that, you know, you, you try for a baby, you have a miscarriage, you have to pick yourself up and you have to try again. You can see how 18 months goes. So, you know, if you're mm-hmm. 37 or 38, the, the time is, 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 is ticking on. And an AMH test, the blood test is a good test, but it needs to be done in conjunction with an ultrasound scan to look at the follicles on the ovaries and be able to count those as well. Mm. It gives you a better picture of what's going on. But just because your AMH is low doesn't mean to say that you will never get pregnant. Many women do go on to get pregnant. Where it helps with um, IVF clinics is they're able to gauge by your AMH how you're likely to respond to stimulation and treatment and how many eggs you're likely to get. 
So there's a lot of lot of chat here about the females. Um, and I'd love to know, is there anything more than just the standard sperm analysis that can be done for the yeah, males? Yeah, there, 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 there are. There's a lot. There's a, a lot more that can be done now. You know, you look at... Um, and, you know, I, I feel sorry for men as well, but they don't like to share information, you know, about their sperm or whatever. But, you know, when a woman goes and has a test, she comes back with a number for her egg reserve. But that poor man will come back and it will be your morphology, which is the shape of your the head, the neck of the tail of your sperm is, you know, 2% normal out of 100. They're swimming in the wrong direction. They've got extra heads, extra tail. I mean, it's terrifying, isn't it? And a lot yeah. of men relate morphology thinking oh my god does that mean my child is going to be abnormal and it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't at all but it's you know it's quite quite hard for them but there are lots of extra tests now i mean we have ICSI, so ivf is where the um it's self-selected but ICSI where you inject the sperm into the egg there are other tests that can be done to look at the fragmentation the um ROS, the, the oxidative stress on the sperm. And then there are certain things that can be done when you go through a cycle. There's something called IMSI, which is the magnification of sperm. And there's something now called Zymot, where they're able to test the sperm to see how it can, which sperm are the stronger swimmers when it comes to wow. ICSI or IVF. So there's a, a, you know, there's a lot more happening. So advanced as well. Yeah. But I think as well, you know, very often it's like, oh, you only need one sperm. Well, that's true. But it's the it's the quality of that sperm that is important. Um, Sita, so for me, I went and had the routine tests with my GP. They came back normal. AMH, good. Um, ultrasound scan, good. And then I had the 3D Hycosi. Can you just discuss yeah. what that is and what it shows? Well, what that does, it's a more detailed investigation that is usually stage two. You know, you have your blood test, you've been trying for a while, and then you're sent off to look at tubal patency to see whether your tubes are open or not, if there's any scar tissue or whatever. So obviously you had that and they discovered that your tubes were were blocked. And the worry about something like that, if you've got a blocked tube or a damaged tube, you've got a higher risk of an ectopic pregnancy, which is very, very dangerous. There are lots of reasons why tubes can be blocked. Chlamydia is one of the most common reasons that that can happen. And chlamydia very often is silent, so you don't even know there's anything wrong until you go and get checked out. So there's lots of lots of different steps that you can go through. So if someone's test, so someone like me, so I was 36 years old, um, been trying for two and a half years, everything came back normal, then you would then suggest the 3D Hycosi. That wouldn't be yeah, one of the you first would, you things. You would suggest, yeah. you, you, would, you would look. But you've got to sort of factor in time. So if you were 39 yeah. and you just met somebody and, you know, you were in the throes of having lots of sex for a couple of months, what's the point of doing that? Because, you know, the chances are you don't want to waste valuable fertility time. You know, if you've got to wait another six months to have, because sometimes the waiting lists on the NHS are long, you, you've you got to sort of factor in, well, you know, what's the point of doing that if I might, I might end up with IVF? Yeah. And so, say, for example, because um, I know, Al, you've mentioned, um, you know, it was the 3D High Cozy when you found out what you know what was going on with you and for for me it was when we did the amh and the internal ultrasound scan and i was told that you know i didn't have many follicles or many eggs and you know that i felt really really time pressured there yeah and kind of you know 
because you don't expect things to be wrong you know you kind of you just you want to do the testing because you sort of like well let's see what's going on after you've been trying for for quite a while how can we how can we overcome finding things out that 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 are sort of essentially bad news i think the first thing you want to do when you start off trying for a baby you've got to give it your best shot of trying naturally having as much sex as you can making all the improvements that we've talked about and not over-medicalizing it. You know, I, I have women that have just got married, they're 32, they come in, I want all the tests done, I want to find out if there's any issues. And like I said, fertility is very black and white. So issues would be, for me, start trying, give yourself a time frame of four to five months and see what happens. If nothing happens over that, then start with like level one basic tests to see what is going on. If you've got just come off the pill and your cycle's not come back, then you need an intervention probably more sooner, you know, than than six months, if, especially if you're not having a cycle. If you've got a history of thyroid in the family, then there could be, a, you know, something wrong with your thyroid. But I wouldn't necessarily start off doing all those tests straight away. I, you know, when you over-medicalize things, for every test you do, there's always a result. And it doesn't mean to say that you can't get pregnant. So work within a time frame. Important question to ask your mother. If your mother had an early menopause, the yeah. chances are you're likely to. Yeah. So if your mother had a menopause in her 40s and you're in your mid-30s, you need to crack on. You know, yeah, it's, that, it's, that was it's my, important. my case. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And there is a real danger, isn't there, of comparing your AMH results with your friends. Oh, God. Which is such Horrible. a bad, yeah, it's such awful, a bad yeah. route to go down. It's like, yeah. don't do it. Yeah, no, don't, <laughs> because it just makes you feel... And, and, you know, Dr. Google is another great thing to go on, you know. Yeah. And again, you know, so many women say to me, oh, what can I do to improve my AMH? Well, I believe you can improve your eggs through diet, supplements, etc. But your AMH is never going to rocket from 2 to 22. No. You might go up a bit, which will be great. But it doesn't mean to say it's going to go, you know, mine, really, really Mine high. went up from 2.6 to 6.3, which then That's meant fantastic. that I was then viable yeah. to have treatment yeah. on the NHS, which yeah. my levels weren't, weren't good which enough. Which is fantastic. Which, which was really amazing. Fantastic. And I strongly believe that that was, a, you know, acupuncture. And yeah. it was, a, you know, all the comp- it was everything that I was doing. It could also be that because I had them redone after I'd had my miscarriage and I don't know whether or not that could have affected You know, the well. fact you got pregnant with a low AMH is important and many women have a low AMH, but they are getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can get pregnant on with an AMH of 0.5. Yes, it may be harder, but actually if you look at the evidence, you know, it's just, but it's more so an indicator of how well you will respond to stim medication. Yeah. yeah. So, so I suppose this brings us on to, let's say you've had all these tests, everything comes back normal. And then you fit uh, into wh- that category of unexplained. Absolutely. What, the unexplained fertility, we could talk about this endlessly, but what, what in your opinion, what, what would we do next? Where, where, where would we go? I think, you know, what's hard about unexplained um, fertility issues is it's dependent on, on the tests and investigations you have. And as you know, it varies up and down the country in terms of what tests and what investigations you're eligible for. So I think, you know, looking at a family history, if there's a history of endometriosis, if there's a history of fibroids, are there any polyps that haven't been picked up? Have you had your tube tested? Have you got thyroid issues? I'm amazed at the clinic how many young women now have thyroid issues. And I don't know whether we're just testing for them now 
or whether we didn't 20 years ago. I, I, you know, I don't know. But for me, the mind-body link is huge. And many of the women that I see, one of the questions I always ask, and I get more from this than any other question, and I say, is there anything that's stopping you from getting pregnant? And they'll produce their tests, and I'll say, forget about the tests, forget about the labels you've been given, forget about the stories. And very often the answer will be a termination in the past, low self-esteem, poor relationship with my parents, self-abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse. All of that plays into to the psyche. So I'm a big believer in, in that. You mentioned thyroid issues and endometriosis. Yeah. See, there's so many things that it could, could be a reason why you're not getting pregnant. What at the Z2S clinic are you finding is your most common diagnosis? Oh, common diagnosis. That- I think it's age. I think it's mm-hmm. I think it's the age factor. You know, in older women, it's much harder to get IVF to work. You know, if you're 43 or 44, it's 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 wasting your money when you're better off moving on to something like a donation. Yeah. And at what point would you recommend treatment to someone? For IVF? Or I, IUI or, or IVF? I think it's looking at, it's, it's looking at an individual and, and a couple as to, one, what are the underlying medical reasons that you found? Two, what the age they are? Three, have they really, really tried to have sex? You know, I could have a couple in where the man's suffering from performance anxiety and they're not able to have sex around ovulation. So we've got to look at ways of making that easier for him. And I'm also, I'm an optimist, but I'm a realist. You know, the chances of that improving for them if they're under stress are are not high. So they might as well look at doing something else. If a woman has got something such as vaginismus where she can't have sex, then you've got to look at um, other issues as well. You mentioned the IUI. That will be down to age. If somebody is older at 39 and wants to do IUI, usually you've got to do it for three to six months. The success rate is so much lower for IUI than it is for IVF. So you've got to go where the success is. So it's all really pips down to a good consultation and a plan of action um, that's based on you and what, what's going on in your life. You know, some women are so anxious that it's almost like they've done three or four rounds of IVF. You need a break. You need to stop and something different needs to happen this next time round. You can't just keep going at it. I don't believe it's a numbers game. You just keep cracking on, cracking on, cracking on. You have to shift. You have to change something. And that could be a clinic. It could be a test. It could be, you know, working on your relationship. And, you know, one of the questions I ask as well, you know, are you having fun in your lives? And so often people aren't having fun in their lives because they're moving house, they're doing an extension, they're working hard, they've got financial pressures, they've got stepkids, they've got all sorts of things going on which only add to add to the, the stress. And that's why I was saying about focus. You know, where you focus your attention, things happen. When you're distracted and trying to do 6,000 other projects, you're not putting the energy you need into, into IVF. And at the end of the day, it's all about energy. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree Such with taking a, a break. So important for me. Yeah. Because when yeah. I discovered 
I had the block tubes. We then were like, right, well, what do we need to do? What are the next steps? And then suddenly we were doing, you know, embarking on IVF and, you know, having to learn all about IVF and put yourself through that. And then we had a failed round and it was just like one, it was bad news after bad news. Yeah. And then, so then we suddenly, luckily it was Christmas and clinics closed over Christmas and it forced us to stop. Yeah. And actually just that we had took three months off and it was so nice for my husband and I to reconnect and forget about trying for a baby and focus on, you know, the good, having a laugh, doing the nice things, going on dates again, just rediscovering who we were before we embarked on this mad journey. And yeah, so strongly recommend. And it, it is because, you know, like yeah. I was saying, some women will do three or four cycles onto the next, onto the next, onto the next, panicked about the biological clock mm-hmm. when really it's about getting your, you know, getting yourself together, getting, making yourself stronger. Yeah. I agree. I also I also was on this awful roller coaster of miscarriage, having yeah. it going straight back into trying again. It was this awful roller coaster, IVF, two failed rounds. And for my mental health, for my physical health, I've taken a very long break. And yeah. it was you know, time's not on my side, but also I need to focus. I, I believe strongly that if I was to embark straight, go back on that roller coaster, I would have the same outcome. So taking a break and doing, you know, reevaluating, you know, what's important, happiness, life, love yes. um, has been so, so important for me. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to, you know, Maddie, you have to look after your relationship as well. I see couples so come important. In. And I'm always looking at their body language when they come in and how they sit on the sofa. And so often, arms folded, sitting at other ends of the sofa, you know, on their iPads at night, not even being in the same room anymore, have lost that connection. You can see for the man, he doesn't want to do it anymore. But for the woman, she wants to keep going at the cost of absolutely everything. And you've got to remember what you what you started out with in your relationship. 100%. So important. Yeah. yeah such a good point and I think there's also there's so much food for thought there and so much for us to think about in terms of you know if you were, were wanting to go and get tested and actually that's such a good point from you Zita in the sense that tests have results and you know you can be sort of t- sent down a bit of a uh, you know a new journey I suppose from yeah. from what they and what those results are but that's what I was saying Pips as well about hug you know women t- today's women have become so disconnected from themselves because they've been on the pill for a long time. They don't know about their cycles. They look outside for the answers. When I feel you've got the answers inside, if you just tune back in to to your body. And fertility is so fear-based, you know, so fear-based. You never hear anything positive about it, do you? It's always about fear, biological tick-tocks of clocks. And, you know, during COVID, the world did stop. And we we survived and we did different things. We did start to look more within. Mm. And it was so needed, wasn't it? Um, I wish we'd be successful with this. I think it's going to be really good. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sita. Thank you so much for joining us. And, you know, for everyone who's listening, you can, of course, go to your GP to get those initial fertility tests and they'll refer you to a fertility clinic. But wherever you're up to on this journey, we really hope that this has been a useful episode. We're so happy to have the amazing Zeta West on the podcast this week. So Zeta really helped me in the past and I had a consultation with her and made a plan. She also personally offers one-on-one consultations via Zeta West Consultancy. To make an appointment, you can email philippa at zetawestconsultancy.com.
For more information on Zeta's amazing hug fertility and IVF signature course, and also her hug guided visualization course, which we have all really benefited from on our individual journeys, head to hughealth.co slash course for more information. Now, it's that time in the podcast where we hear from our resident fertility nutritionist, Maddie, in her fertility corner. Mads, what have you been up to this week? So this week, I am going to talk to you about magnesium. And magnesium is a mineral involved in hundreds of processes within the body. It's involved in blood sugar regulation, DNA synthesis, and it's It's also involved in the control of FSH, which is follicle stimulating hormone in the ovary. Now, interestingly, 50% of the female population don't meet their daily magnesium needs. And this is mainly because that our soils are so depleted in this nutrient. Now, there's links between deficiency and infertility. So how can we increase our magnesium? From a nutritional point of view, you can look at increasing our intake of pumpkin seeds, almonds, spinach, legumes, and what I love most, dark chocolate. Magnesium can also help those with cramps. So if you're suffering from painful periods, if you've got your adenomyosis or your endometriosis, it may also help with sleep. Now, as a nutritional therapist, form is really key. And my two favorite forms are, and my two favorite forms of magnesium are magnesium glycinate which is very calming so you may want to think about having that if you're struggling with sleep and magnesium citrate which is really good at calming those cramps and i'll be back next week with some more words of wisdom Thanks for joining us this week. We hope you found this episode useful. And as ever, if you have any questions, please get in touch with us on Instagram at Soul Sisters Fitness, at Pips underscore Taylor, or at WTF Fertility. And you can rate us and subscribe if you like what you've heard. We'll see you next time. Sending so much love and be confident in knowing you're doing absolutely everything you can. You've got this.